0: Hey everyone, welcome back to this week's episode of Game Talk Radio. I am your host, Greg, as always, coming at you every week. Talking to you about the hottest game news, my take on what's going on in the world of video gaming, and uh, and other things as well. Uh, this week we don't have a whole lot to talk about. I, I've got one story I want to talk about, which is, uh, it's an incredible one, let me tell you. And I have quite the opinion about it. Uh, then I, I'm going to talk uh, in depth about the Joker movie, so if you haven't seen Joker, I'll do that at the end of the podcast, uh, but uh, obviously don't listen if you haven't heard anything about it, and you want nothing to be spoiled. I mean, there's not really a lot to spoil in that movie, I won't I won't lie, but it, uh, you know what? I'll actually say it here, I'll do a spoiler free on that, because there's not really much you can spoil in that movie, as silly as that sounds. Uh, I mean, I could tell you exactly what happens in the movie, but... You know, even that's not the point of the movie. Kind of the the, the whole thing um, is what it is. Uh, we have our game of the week picked out. I have my pickup pile of the week. And, yeah, and that's it. So it might be a little bit shorter today with the only really the one story, and then we're going to talk a little bit about Joker. Um, I, I hate to say it, I'm not super in, like, a mega excited podcast mood right now. Uh, uh I had my annual checkup uh, at the doctor today. I'm fine. Everything's fine, but I just don't like it. I, I don't know, like going to the doctor and seeing your numbers and like realizing how old you're getting, like that sort of stuff just like really puts me in a funk. So, uh, you know, so it's just, it's just one of those things, but I, I wanted to take the time to say, um, I'm, I'm 38 years old. I'm a 38 year old man. If, you know, once you get into your thirties, mid thirties, upper thirties, you definitely want to be doing checkups every single year, get your physical every year and tell your doctor exactly what's going on. It's sometimes uncomfortable to talk about things I know, but just tell them everything that's going on. You know, that way you can figure out anything that's wrong. Like I said, nothing wrong with me. I'm good. Everything looks good. My numbers are right where I want them to be. Obviously I'm still a little overweight. Got it. Got to fix that. Got to lose, you know, 50, 60 pounds still. But i can do that um but no you know it's something we we gotta take care of ourselves you gotta you gotta check up on yourself and you gotta make sure that uh that you're taking good care of yourself so you can be around on this planet for longer to play more games so just something worth doing you take care of yourself and 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 make sure you're getting yourself checked up don't go crazy with it but you know at least an annual checkup is, is is in order um and so, yeah, so that just kind of like, it just puts me in this weird funk today. Like I'm really, and I'm, I'm doing this later than I normally do because obviously I did do that this morning. And, uh, we, uh, we picked, I picked up cause I had to do some work this morning too. So I picked up the, uh, candy bars that we're selling for the donations for the extra life charity. Because again, I can't stress this enough. It's a week from Saturday is our, is my 24 hour live stream for charity. I'll be putting links up on Twitter. Follow me on Twitter. If you can please at game trade, Greg, That's Greg with two G's at the end right now. My name is ghoul trade Greg, Greg, because Hey, it's Halloween, but if you can, obviously we're trying to raise $6,000 this year. It's a lofty goal. One that, you know, uh, we, it would be more than we did last year. And I, I just would hate to do less than last year. So we got candy bars. We're selling at the store, all the profit going to the charity. We have, uh, We obviously accept donations to the Extra Life page. Uh, We're raffling off a Sega Genesis Mini at the store. You can win with raffle tickets if you come to the sale. Because that's the other thing, too. So when I'm streaming a week from Saturday, the guys and gals at the store will be doing uh, a charity sale. And we're donating 10% of our total sales that day to the charity. So if you come and shop at the store that day, you'll also be helping out. And then when you go to the store for the sale, you will get a free raffle ticket to win the Genesis Mini. But you can purchase additional raffle tickets for a dollar piece. So that would be awesome. And obviously, we're just trying to raise enough money. Uh, The charity we're playing for is the Children's Hospital of Wisconsin through the Extra Life Foundation. And so uh, this year, I got a little bit of a later start than I wanted to. um, You know, next year, I'm going to start fundraising in January. We're going to do multiple streams for raising money. We're going to do a whole bunch of stuff. We're going to do marathon streams with like Just Dance marathons. We're going to do it all. And uh, we're going to do it to raise money Uh, because, you know, helping out sick kids is about uh, the best thing I think you can fight for. So uh, so there's a lot of things going on there. I knew I threw a lot at you there, but any way you can help is appreciated. So if you go to Twitter and you follow me uh, at Game Trade Greg, I will you can find the links on my profile. It should be the pinned tweet would be the links that will get you not only to our stream for when we're doing the stream. Obviously, anyone who, who donates will get shout outs very regularly during the 24 hour live stream. And, uh, other things such as that. So just something that I wanted to throw out there. Any help you can offer is always appreciated. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for even considering. And, uh, and, and then, uh, it's coming up. It's, it's hard to believe. And then it's November and then it's Thanksgiving and then it's black Friday and then it's Christmas and then, and then, and then it's 2020 Lordy, Lordy it's 2020. Um, but anyway, like I said, I got my pickup pile of week got my game of the week set aside, and, uh, we're going to start off with this story. Th- this is unbelievable. I-, I won't lie. This, this story upset me quite a bit when I first heard it, mostly because I started digging into it and I'll get into the details obviously during the story, but here's the story. Uh, this is the Washington post headline. This man just bought some of gaming's quote, Holy grails quote. It cost him $1 million. And so it's a story about, a rich dentist and a few other people that came together, like a group of people that came together to buy a collection and they spent $1 million on sealed video games. <laughs> so my goodness, it, uh, it, I don't know what else to say except it's ridiculous. So we'll get into that. that will be the first thing we start off here. Uh, so we're going to start it up. All right, well, here we go and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get it. We'll get it going. So first up on the podcast today, like I said, we're going to be talking about video game collecting. Uh, And sadly, not the positive part about it. (laughs) It This seems to be the dark, shady underbelly of video game selling and collecting. Collecting, I guess, in quotes, because this article came out. This is the Washington Post, which I have to also say, watching these articles pop up in huge mainstream issues, I can't help but think that it's, it's such a a forced thing. You know, this, this selling tons of games is getting tons of press, selling these huge lots, the the Mario brothers, you remember a few months ago that sold for a hundred thousand dollars. You know, there's always these huge news stories pushed behind it, spreading the word about it, which essentially is artificially inflating the market. So anyway, the, uh, the the article headline, WashingtonPost.com. this man just bought some of gaming's quote, Holy grails, End quote, it cost him $1 million. The story goes on to say, by Jacob Bogagi, <laughs> Bogage, Bogagi. Uh, the article goes on to read, In September, Eric Neerman boarded a plane in South Florida and headed to Denver, planning to expand his collection of video games. The transaction added nearly 40 titles to his assortment of classic titles and cost him more than $1 million. Nehrman, a dentist and one of the world's most avid video game collectors procured more than three dozen of the most sought after vintage video games for $1.02 million. Okay. So I'm just going to stop right there. Cause I'm not sure who I'm more I- irritated with right now is the article or the dentist, but let's, let's start with this. Okay. First of all, the article referring to this person as one of, one of the world's most avid video game collectors. I don't understand where you get that from because the dude dropped a million dollars on games. I mean, yes, I suppose does that make you an avid collector because you dropped a million dollars on games or does that make you a expensive collector? Like does I don't how does that make you an, the world's most avid video game collector? I don't Again, is that the article, though, or is that whatever? But that, that was the first thing that irks me in this article right away. Then we go on. The sale was one of the largest in the hobby's still nascent history, according to collecting experts, though no single source tracks such exchanges. All games are factory sealed and most are first edition releases that a third party grading company said are one of a kind. Oh, gee. Oh, boy. Let's see here. Oh, and a, th- a third-party grading company said, who would the third-party grading company Oh, we've got a picture. We don't have to speculate. Oh, you see this right here. WADA. Of course it's WADA. Of course the, the new kid on the block, the, the company trying to gain clout as the definitive place to get your video games graded, are artificially informing people of the rarity of items so they can grade more of them. <laughs> I'm exhausted at the frustration I have with WADA. So I'm sorry, I digress. Let's get back to it. All the games are factory sealed and most are first edition releases that a third party grading company said are one of a kind, or at least one of only two or three that remain in such condition that are known to exist in collector's hands. Okay, so they're known to exist in collector's hands. That doesn't mean that there aren't more out there. And so, again, this company that grades the games says, oh, well, we've only ever known because the the people who run WADA are part of these like weird elite, like mega, mega, like collectors. Right. And so they they purposely will tell you, well, there's only one of these in the whole world. Only this person has that. Well, that they know of. And so why, how are they the experts to say that just because in their inner circle, they don't know of anyone else because no one else on earth could have a collection of these things, uh, given the number of quote, black box and sticker sealed games, hobby classifications that denote an item's release date and condition before they're assessed by an independent grader in Nairman's possession. Some experts consider it to be one of the foremost collections in the world, both in terms of overall value and rarity hmm, who are those experts they talked to? Oh, that's right, the WADA people. So of course the WADA people are going to consider it to be the foremost collection of the world. you know. And the one thing I could not find, and, and I'm, I'm trying not to be too much of a conspiracy theorist here, but I want to know the relationship between this dentist and the group of people that helped him buy this, by the way, which they don't talk about. The whole article is about this crazy dentist. But really it was this dentist and a group of people referring to themselves as the video game club Purchased this collection for a million dollars. I want to know their connection to Wada. I guarantee that they've already talked. They know each other, and that when they decided they wanted to buy this, they went to Wada and said, "What's it worth?" And for some reason, we're allowing this one company to essentially dictate what things are worth. Now, I'm all for uh, I'm all for um, supply and demand. I'm all for actual value in things, you know, oftentimes when I'm pricing games out, when I'm looking at an eBay auction or looking at something else, I'm looking for something that has multiple bids. I'm looking for something that has history because that's going to tell you people were fighting over it. If you look at an auction that would on eBay would consider a buy it now, right? Like what this gentleman did $1 million. It was a buy it now bid for all intents and purposes that doesn't tell you that that's the value of these things that tells you what somebody paid for it. Now, would I trust now, if, if I heard that 20 of the world's biggest game collectors bid on this auction and it finished at $1 million, I would say, okay, that's what I feel like that's worth because you had competition. You had multiple people in the market. This person essentially did a private sale and it doesn't prove the worth of anything. Um, You could argue that something's worth whatever someone's willing to pay for it, I suppose. But the actual value that they're stating on these things isn't necessarily the price that's paid. Like I said, you can go on eBay and find people that have overpaid on games and gotten deals on games that are cheaper because of buy it now auctions listed at different prices. So this is the picture of the guy here. This is uh, he looks like a younger fellow. I'm I'm happy he's doing well for himself. He's a dentist making money and he wants to spend on vintage games. I have no problem with that. I'm not going to attack this guy. For wanting to be, a, a, you know, a part of it, and not everybody, you know, and this is on the flip side of this, you know, not everybody's like Pat the NES punk, who has a million, you know, in the last twenty years was going to flea markets and picking up every Nintendo game for a buck a piece. You know, unfortunately, we don't all have those options. Some of us have to go to eBay and private sale. Some of us have to open up our own game store and take stuff out of the collection of stuff that comes in. We all have different ways of collecting, and I'll never attack somebody for using their mind to do it, especially when he worked hard to earn the money. So I'm not attacking this gentleman. So here it goes on to say with the additions from Denver, Nairman and a small group of partners called the video game club obtained sticker sealed black box copies of Nintendo entertainment system games, Mario brothers, not super Mario brothers, but Mario brothers arcade edition, the two known copies of golf. So there were two copies of golf that were in this collection. The only known copy of balloon fight and the only known copy of gumshoe quote, these are some of the holy grails and cream of the crop in terms of having historic value, end quote, said Dennis Kahn, president and chief executive of WADA Games, which specializes in grading vintage video games and evaluated the items near obtained. So, again, I've said this a million times before when talking about WADA. There is a weird relationship here with the grading company and the elite collectors and the heritage auction. And there's this weird relationship going on where they're setting values. They're bringing people in to spend extra money on things by them telling you what a good price is. Now, a vintage Super Mario Brothers sells for a $100,000. That does not mean that a vintage gumshoe is worth a $100,000. Gumshoe is not going to hold nearly the value of something like super mario brothers would it does not have the historical significance it does not have the the name recognition to be that collectible so now the original mario brothers arcade edition maybe except that's not the game that people remember it to be people remember super mario brothers when they equate mario to the nes Goes on to say, the purchase from three collectors who spent 52 combined years amassing the items is a watershed moment for the hobby experts say. Again, the guy from Water. They keep acting like there's different people they talk to. Like they've just talked to this one guy. Uh, Both in terms of the number of games exchanged and the price points at which Nehrman purchased them. Okay, so part of what makes this a watershed moment is the price that the guy paid, which was basically evaluated and made for by the people who benefit from people grading their games once they go up in value. You kind of see where I'm getting at here. Like, see where the the stupidity of all this is, is starting to wrap around. The previous high watermark for a single game sale was a first edition 1985 Super Mario Brothers that sold for $100,150. We did a story about this when it happened. Several of the games in Nairman's purchase could fetch similar prices at auction. No, they will not. Super Mario Brothers original print, because it was a game, not initially, but that was packed in later, that game has significantly less print than the other games do even of first print, I would argue. Quote, it's a classic case of supply and demand, end quote, said Valerie McLecky, the video game consignment director at Heritage Auctions. Oh, here we go. Here's our friends. Here's the, the holy trinity. <laughs> Here's the other one we were missing. Quote, demand is increasing. More people are becoming interested and these games are not easy to find in this condition. And that's what's driving the market growth at this point. And people get competitive, end quote. Now, I won't disagree with that, And but what I would argue is that we've got maybe 10 people, maybe even five people, probably in the entire US, five to 10 people that would pay this kind of money for these kind of games. So essentially what you have is you have this kind of weird circle jerk of all these high-end collectors buying it. And then what he'll do is he'll sit on this for three, four, five years. Then he'll find someone to buy the second copy of Golf for twice what he paid for it or whatever because he's now dictated the price that he paid in anticipation of the market only rising. Now, I will admit this is pretty risky. And there's a lot safer bets you could make with your money, please, in your investments, please, (laughs) than going out and buying Video games. You don't know that this market won't crash. You don't know that. Um, If if we have another huge financial crash and people are losing money, this is going to be one of the first things that people start selling is physical stuff like this. More things that enter the market, the price crashes. You never know if something like this is going to hold value like oftentimes, and this is something that I, and I'm not trying to sound arrogant when I say this, but this happens a lot in the store. People tell me stories all the time. Like, man, I remember when, when I was at Walmart and I remember they had earthbound or they were at target or best buy and they had earthbound for $30 on clearance. Oh man, I wish I had bought all of them. Cause now they're worth so much money. And I think, yeah, I guess if I could go back to like 1995, would I do that? Or would I put a whole bunch of money in Apple stock <laughs> or Microsoft stock <laughs> and then be worth Millions now as opposed to making six or seven hundred dollars on ten copies of a game. you know what I mean and also having to hold on to that physically so you know it's it's there are better bets to make if you're going to invest in something. And when I start talking about investments because this next part of the article here, the article goes on to say, As the video game collecting industry grew during the late 2000s, hobbyists gravitated towards the games with which they grew up. In video games' short history, there were also some of the first console games on the market. Collectors established expertise on titles' histories based on informal research and connection to other hobbyists who took informal surveys of which games were available. When third-party grading services entered the hobby, collectors finally had an objective measure of one game's value versus another similar to the system that's been in place for years in baseball card and comic book collecting. All of a sudden hobbyists could quantify their nostalgia with a dollar sign. Okay. I have to stop again because now they're arguing that because WADA came along, which by the way, VGA has been around forever, but because WADA's come along now, it it's giving us an objective measure of one game's value versus another. No, it is not. No, it is not. I don't know how else to say that a, a grading company coming in And telling you what something's worth is not an objective measure. It's not, this isn't a Beckett baseball card book where you open it up and it's got values for every card in there. That's not what this is. These grading companies, all they do is grade condition. And then they say, well, because we've only graded 10 of these, there's only 10 known to exist. To them, (laughs) there's only 10 known to exist to them. And so this is where I get a little frustrated. And if you're a fan of video game grading and collecting and you love WADA, I'm sorry. I just... There's such an odd relationship here where somehow the people who benefit the most from grading these games and for grading games becoming more popular, and they got the exclusive grading rights to all of Heritage Auctions items. Now you've got experts from WADA and Heritage Auctions telling you what the best and most rare games are. Does no one else... like? I have to ask, does anyone else see that? It is so... Shady. It is so off. The article goes on to say, quote, it comes in waves, but the waves build up on each other, said John Hancock, a longtime Seattle-based collector. Fifteen to twenty years after a console comes out, the people who grew up on it get their first real jobs, have a little bit of disposable income, and decide to start collecting. We're already seeing the start of the PlayStation 2 and we wave. End quote. That's very true. There's nothing there's nothing wrong about that. John Hancock knows what he's talking about. People, when they get into their disposable income phases of their lives, they start to. A lot of people like to go back and buy things that are nostalgic to them, whether it's video games, toys, you know, whatever. Oftentimes, people then will start a family and then they will get rid of those things or shelve them when they have a family. But there is always that kind of time where you have that disposable income. The article goes on to say it has even given rise to the niche industry of quote unquote retro gamers who record themselves playing vintage games on sites suggest Twitch and YouTube, I would argue that Twitch and YouTube streaming came first and retro game collecting blew up because of that popularity. Um, I think Angry Video Game Nerd and others that were paving the way and talking about retro games sparked people's interest and has been pulling this hobby up in value ever since them. I would I could not say that because retro game prices have gone up that it helped people on Twitch and YouTube. I think it's quite the opposite. In fact. Um, quote, it's only natural, I suppose, but I just play the games that matter to me, end quote, said Jason Lindsley, who plays under the name Metal Jesus Rock. So here we, we got a quote by Metal Jesus in this stupid article. Um, <laughs> moving on. Nehrman began collecting games after growing disillusioned with baseball card collecting. It took far too much money, he said, to buy a single card, and he was looking to form a collection that could rank as one of the best in the world. He pivoted to video games, realizing the titles he and friends grew up playing were now considered top-notch collector's items. If found in the right condition. And then this last paragraph I'm going to read, and then I'm going to f- go on to the final uh, arguments here. But increasingly, experts say again, WADA and Heritage Auction. Experts say they've seen a movement away from collecting based on nostalgia and towards a view of collecting games as commodities while the market for rare games heats up. In years past, the hobby was dominated by aging gamers. Entering the hobby now are the same sort of series collectors who consider coins, baseball cards, comic books, and works of art as part of their investment portfolios. Yeah, yeah, that's not wrong. That's not wrong. And I did an article about this when I talked about comic book collectors coming into the video game market. I did that about a month or two ago. And when it was that, uh, was that also a dentist? Now that I'm thinking about it, was that a dentist or a doctor? But there was that one, oh no, it was a lawyer. The lady was a lawyer, remember? And so she was a lawyer and she bought like a bunch of games for like, what was it? Half a million dollars or something, $500,000. And so let's get back to this last part though, before, before I get too off off topic here. What this article is basically saying is that the experts have now said people are pivoting away from collecting games based on nostalgia. So basically, they're pivoting away from playing collecting games because they want to have them. And they're pivoting towards buying and collecting games that are meant to be worth more money in the future. Um, Now, any collector should have seen this coming a long time ago. you know. But when you consider this something along the lines of comic books and baseball cards, you have to understand that those industries have been around for around 100 years. Video games, the ones with NES especially, we're looking at 30 years, 30 plus. So if we want to get to the point where we talk about these being as rare as comic books and coins and as baseball cards, we're not there yet because we haven't had the same amount of time pass. Now, this would be the time then to get in on it, right? Because if you get in on it when it's low and eventually it does blow up in another 70 years to the point where comic books are, you will have a nice chunk of change to sell. I don't think we'll be alive in 70 years. (laughs) I won't be, uh, guaranteed. And uh, a lot of these people that are investing in these things won't be around in 70 years. So then it it brings me to an issue I'm having, right? Like a, a, an existential crisis of my video I did that said the only right way to collect is your way. So are these people not real collectors because they're collecting only for the money? I can't make that argument. I can't say that if, if in the past I've said, if you collect for any reason, it's what you collect. You know, there's no wrong way to collect, right? I, I wondered about that when I saw some people's collections of like really dirty old sports games. But again, if it's what makes you happy, then it's what makes you happy. But uh, I do not understand... I guess I don't understand that. I don't understand buying something that I wouldn't want. Like for instance, I, and I've been doing this a little bit. I talked on the podcast about this before. I've been buying a lot of comic books recently because I do see a value going up in certain X-Men titles. Once the X-Men hit the Marvel cinematic universe, but I'm still only buying issues of comics that I would like. I'm still only buying X-Men. I'm not digging deep and looking into all these other first appearance comics, buying them to hope they go up in value later. I'm buying it now so that I can have it so that when it goes up in later, I can still keep it and be happy with it. But uh, so it, it is an odd thing here now where they, the, the experts, I'm going to put that in quotes, the experts are saying that people aren't even collecting for nostalgia anymore. They're collecting more so for the investment of the future. And again, it's not even that great of an investment, I don't think. I think there's much better investments you can make, much less volatile investments you can make. But there is obviously something fun to buying something like this, you know, and there is a pride that goes along with this saying I have the first appearance of Spider-Man comic as opposed to saying I have, uh, you know, I have 2000 shares of divested Microsoft stock, you know, if those words even make sense. And I don't think they do. But um, that is um, that that is less exciting than saying, man, I got a first I got a first edition Mario Brothers. You know, I, I get it. Yeah, I get it. Um, the article goes on to say, quote, the hobby has transformed from being this relic of nostalgia Khan said. There's not so much about that anymore. It's moved to a real appreciation of the art and historic value of these games. People aren't just buying them to look at and remember playing them. They're buying them to commemorate the history and the impact they had on pop culture. Eh, I think they're more buying it for the money. But yeah. Uh, that's the same thing that happened with comic books. People had them, and they were something that sat in the attic and collected dust. But in the 90s, people realized they were works of art and pieces of history. There's a new criteria with that transition that makes something valuable. It's still too soon to be conclusive, but the tide has risen. Uh, I don't, I don't really understand that comment about how the 90s, in the 90s, people realized they were pieces of art and history. I think people always there were always comic book collectors, but obviously once we got into TV shows, cartoons, movies, and then the the market blew up because there were people who wanted to have the comic books. And not necessarily because they were worth money. People started buying them because, oh, I love the X Men. I want to buy X Men comics, you know, and so on and so forth. It also sent longtime gaming aficionados on the hunt for new collectibles. One of the sellers from Nayerman's deal is liquidating some of his collection, once considered to be among the world's best, to track down original video game cover artwork. For early games, publishers would commission artists to paint the cover by hand, then take a photograph of it and print it onto boxes. Some of those paintings still exist, and as collectors snap them up, another market has emerged for historic video game paraphernalia. That, experts say, is further inflating the price of collectible games. So to add on to that, I would say, yes, people who have collected all the games they want are now looking for something else to collect. And that includes memorabilia, um, things you couldn't buy. I'm in a few Facebook groups of people collecting neon signs that were only hanging in like KB Toys and Toys R Us stores, the, gla- the World of Nintendo glass cases, stuff like that that was never purchasable by the public. A lot of people are looking for. So that's actually, you know, it's very, very accurate. Um, the article finishes up quote, judging from everything I've seen collecting over the years, there's no reason that this shouldn't develop into a hobby like baseball cards or comic books. Naerman said, I mean, comic books, you tell me what they have that a video game doesn't, they have box art. They have the same nostalgia. If comic books can sell for 1 million, then there's no reason a video game shouldn't be able to do the same end quote. And I guess that's really what it is, isn't it? You know, this, this hobby is turning into people are going to get into it for the money. And I guess when I put together my collection, I decided that I wanted to have everything I remembered playing as a kid that's still good today that I like today and I buy it mint in the box. And so I have a collection of about a hundred NES games all mint in box. Very good to mint in box. And I, I love it. I'm happy with it. But I'm not gonna replace my Mario Brothers with a hundred thousand dollar original sticker print. And I know we all collect different things, but to me it doesn't matter. And I think to the average game collector, it doesn't matter what version of the game they have, they want the game. My friend Jack. He collects loose carts and eventually he's gonna get every game. Probably minus like, you know, um stadium events and some of the others that are like beyond Bonker's price. But that's how he wants to collect. So again, I don't have any problem with the different ways people like to collect. But it it, I can't help but feel a little like a little weirded out by people that are just getting into it because they see it as a commodities market. Like let's just buy these video games for a million dollars today because in 10 years I can sell them for 5 million. And you know, and it just seems kind of, it seems disingenuous to the hobby, but this is uh, definitely something that comic book and baseball collectors have been having to deal with for years. So as collectors ourselves, we probably should have seen this coming and it is kind of neat to be on this side of it. Because if it's early enough, you could still be collecting this. Now, realistically, these people that, that have been selling these now probably collected these 10, 15, 20 years ago back. And they they were they were way ahead of us. Like when we're reading articles like this, it's almost too late already to get in on this train. But uh, yeah, that's the article. I, I got to tell you, I, I, I don't... More, I guess, my issue then to recap everything. I don't like the artificial inflation of prices. The people who benefit the most from these games being graded, like, look at this, this picture has, that's free advertising for them. So of course they're going to loan their quotes to the articles. They get their name out there. They benefit from people spending this kind of money on this, not necessarily monetarily. They're not getting a cut of these proceeds or proceeds. Although I could argue they might be, especially when stuff sold through heritage auctions. Do you think they're getting a kickback on that stuff? Because Wad is adding value to those items. So are they getting a kickback? Probably. Um, who knows? But what I do know is that a lot of these prices and values are being inflated by people who benefit the most from it. And I think that's what bothers me the most. And a lot of other things bother me about that, but you know, I'll keep, I'll keep the language to a minimum today, y'all. So that, yeah, that story, I'll, I just, man, that feels disingenuous. It feels really, really dumb. I don't like it. I don't like anything about it. Um, However, moving on. So I want to talk a little about the Joker movie. Oops, sorry about that. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about the Joker movie. I, I, I will do this spoiler-free again. No spoilers, you're fine. No spoilers, I won't spoil anything. And that's why I won't make a full video out of it because with no spoilers, I'm not going to go through the movie piece by piece. So this is the first movie I've ever gone to see by myself. And I really enjoyed going by myself. Uh, not. I, I really liked, I'll just always I'll just be honest, I like going to a movie by myself. I don't know what else. I, I really thought it was okay. I thought it'd be weird. I thought be, And there is definitely a stigma attached to it but it was not weird. In fact, I liked it quite a bit. So, um, Joker is, I have a hard time saying that it was a fun movie to go see. I don't think I had fun when I was there, but I would say that I was intrigued and very interested. And I was entertained. If that, if, if we can separate fun from entertainment for a minute, because the movie is incredible downer. You see it, it has a lot to say about mental illness. It has a lot to say how we treat people with mental illness in this country, um, not just medically, but how we treat um, that, uh, you know, stigmatize that so much in our society, having mental issues. And so this movie um, touched on some good points, but was also incredibly entertaining. They tied it into the Batman universe in a really interesting and neat way. Uh, it was not funny. It wasn't, I don't think I laughed or smiled the entire movie. Um, I cringed a few times. Uh, and there were times when I just, I needed to know how the story ended. I was intrigued by it. Um, I wasn't loving it, you know, like I didn't like it. I didn't, I wasn't just like, Oh, this is so awesome. And now oh, he's joking. He's so wacky. And it wasn't like that. Wo- watching, uh, the transformation of Joaquin Phoenix in the beginning of the movie where he's not Joker and obviously into Joker is really well done. And, uh, and obviously if you watch the trailer, there's the famous dancing down the steps in New York city kind of thing. Uh, it's, uh, you know, it's all part of it. It all, it all fits together. So as a movie, I thought it was really done really well. It's grounded in reality. So it would fit somewhere in like Christopher Nolan's Batman trilogy. You know, that's kind of the more of the movie it would be than something like Batman vs Superman. It's just really grounded and, and you could see it being realistic. And it is, uh, it is depressing. <laughs> it, it depressed me. I walked out of the movie and I just had a weird feeling. I had an off feeling all day. It stuck with me. I was thinking about it all day and it just left an impression. Uh, so I would recommend going to see it with someone who you could talk to about it afterwards. Maybe not because I, I left and then I was by myself and then I went in my truck and I was by myself and I came home and I was off work. So I was by myself and just like a lot of self thought went into it like I just kept thinking about things and like how how crazy and weird it was and how how much I enjoyed it but felt guilty for enjoying it and and who who was right in the movie who were the good guys who were the bad guys like a lot of a really twisted uh narrative which I think is part of why it's going to be so successful um but I can't say I'd ever watch the movie again I might watch it again with Jenny like when it comes out on on Blu-ray I'll, I will buy that movie I'll put it in my superhero collection and, uh, and we'll watch it and I'll be very curious to know how she feels about it. But, uh, I, I probably would never watch it again unless I watched it with her. Like I, I'll have no want to see that movie again, but I incredibly enjoyed the experience of going to see it, um, which I know sounds like contradictory statements, but it was, it was very interesting. Um, and of course, just as a general movie going experience, I went on a Thursday at 1230, four people in the theater. The person in front of me keeps whipping out their phone and in this movie, like it was slow building and it was building to something about to happen and it was really building that. And so when someone whips out their phone and starts looking at, and it's different, they didn't just look at their phone like to look at what time it was and go away. I'm pretty understanding of that sort of thing. They whip out the phone. They flip, you know, like they flip the screen with their finger up. You see him adjust the brightness. They flip it back down. They, flip over to messenger. They're scrolling through their messages. I'm like, come on. Are you serious? So that happened once and they put it away halfway through the movie. It happens again. And I just said, could you put your phone away, please? And then she did. She put it away and it was nice. And I didn't get any evil looks and I didn't get yelled at after the movie for talking to us. You know, it was all good. It was all good, which I was very surprised. I really thought there was going to be a conflict after the movie, but thankfully there was not. And it was fine. And so I, I do recommend the movie. I think you should go see it, see it with somebody. Maybe don't go see it by yourself. And what's funny is, um, my friend Kelly, she told me that she said, don't go see it by yourself. It's kind of a really dark movie. And I was like, eh, you know, I'm fine. And I really didn't have anybody else to go with. It sounds silly, but you know, my, a lot of my friends, the movie came out, when we were in Ireland. So a lot of my friends went and saw it. And so I was like, well, I could wait and try to organize something or I just go. So I just went and I, and I was kind of on a, on a whim to go see a movie and I'm glad I did. It was fun. I, I would definitely go to a movie by myself again. I, I liked that quite a bit actually. Um, all right. And so that brings us to, let's see what we got going on here. I like how, let's see here. I like how this never works. Like every week I got to dick around with this. Uh, <laughs> what's that's my Samsung. So I got to, is that, uh, There it is. Okay. So uh, we have our Game of the Week and our Pickup of the Week. So first up, Game of the Week. We're going to be talking about another PS1. We're sticking with the PS1 theme. We're going alphabetical, so I don't keep repeating myself as we go through. But it's going to be a PS1 smorgasbord for the coming year because I have a lot of PS1 games, and they're all pretty good. However, this PS1 game is one of my favorite rpgs of all time if you're into turn-based rpgs you gotta have this in your collection it has breath of fire 3 for the playstation 1 this is actually the first breath of fire game i played it is the perfect mix of 32-bit pixel style graphics looks incredible with cd quality uh, music and cd quality and power uh, effects so you'll get like neat coloring and some polygonal uh polygonal effects but still on a 2d pixel plane that can do better colors than the old 16-bit can. Um, but you play as uh, you know, you play as somebody who's got like a Breath of Fire is basically like you're like a part part dragon or something. And you know, you're you're a hero. It's pretty basic stuff. Um, this is a really good RPG that I need to play through again because I haven't played it in years, and it's super good. Breath of Fire 3, it's published by Capcom. Breath of Fire 1 and 2 are both on Super Nintendo and actually pretty good games as well. And 3 maintained this. 4 is okay. And Breath of Fire 5, which is called Dragon Quarter on PS2, is one of the worst RPGs I've ever played, so I don't even recommend Dragon Quarter to you to you or to anyone. I don't even have it in my collection. And I collect almost every RPG. But Breath of Fire 3, PS1, check it out. Um, so now we move over to our pickup pile of the week. And there is some uh there is some interesting stuff here. So uh, a lot of the stuff I got in was from a lot of stuff I got in was from limited run games. So I still collect a lot of the limited run stuff of games that I want. I don't just buy every limited run game, but I buy the ones of the ones I want. So we're going to talk about those first. Uh, first up, uh, I got a physical copy of transistor. This is made by the people that made bastion and they currently have the game called Hades on Epic store. Uh, transistor is really fun. This is a really cool series. I finally got the physical copy of rogue legacy. This is another game. If you've never played, it's a great indie, uh, roguelike and, uh, Pretty awesome, though. I, I have to say Rogue Legacy, just really fun, cute game. Um, every time you die in the game, you go back and start as a new character who is a descendant of yours, and each one comes with different bonuses and negatives, and it's funny. Some of the negatives are like, can't stop farting, so every time you jump, like, you fart. Oh, it's, it's hilarious. Um, and then I got a copy of Freedom Planet. This was uh, basically like a Sonic fan project that got to- turned into a total game. And so you play three different characters. It literally looks like a Sonic game, except not made by Sega. <laughs> but it's, uh, it's something that I actually have not played yet, technically, but I want to. So I had to take a physical copy of that. This one was an, another sleeper. It's a Metroid slash Castlevania type game. It is called Time Spinner. That looked really good. I have not played that yet either. Uh, copy of Slime Son. The physical Slime Son came in finally. That's uh, similar to like a Super Meat Boy type game. It plays a slime. That's pretty fun. And then got the Reloaded Edition of Mercenary Kings for PS4. Um, Another really fun indie game. A lot of these were ones I did, like, first 30s on in my first year or second year of doing the drop rate stuff. And so there's some really cool, like, memories here. But uh, Mercenary Kings, very fun. Check it out. It's pretty good. And then lastly, this isn't from Limited Run Games. This is from Hard Copy Games. I got the copy of Elliot Quest. Uh, Don't know much about that, though. I have to play that still, too. Lastly on PS4, I picked up my copy of Ghostbusters. They remastered this from the PS3 to the PS4. I've never actually played that game before, but I'm a big Ghostbusters fan, so I should play that. And then I finally got my Kickstarted Collector's Edition of Indivisible. So this is an RPG from the folks that made It's an RPG from the folks that made Skullgirls, the fighting game. And apparently it's really good. I have not gotten a chance to play it yet because I have, you know, roughly a million other things to do, and I was in Ireland for a minute. And so uh, all good stuff there, though, like all great stuff going in the collection. Very happy about that stuff. And then lastly, a few things came through the shop. I picked up a copy of Generation of Chaos. This is a tactical RPG for the PSP. Got a copy of Mana Kamea Student Alliance, also for the PSP. And lastly, on the Wii, I have no idea if this game's any good. It looks hilarious, and it was cheap. I had to buy it. Escape from Bug Island on the Wii. (laughs) There's bugs, obstacles, time travel, and you have to survive the back of the box says the creepiest survival horror game for the Wii you wake up alone in a deep and fog covered forest your friends are nowhere to be found and there's bugs And bugs suck <laughs> alright and then lastly I have a listener question I believe uh, this actually came I think right when I got back from Ireland but I didn't technically do one so I have to go back a little bit um, let's see here Let's see. Okay. Here was the question with the Halloween season setting upon us. Do you have any fun, spooky video game memories or any other horror games you would like to go back and play? Um, Ooh. uh, Well, uh, for the, we might be doing this. I'm not sure if we're going to lock it in yet, but one of my favorite, two of my favorite horror games, quote unquote, are on the NES and it's nightmare on Elm street and it's Friday the 13th. I'm a big fan of '80s slasher movies and both those games are not necessarily great, but they're not bad. And, uh, what I want to do, the plan is to get four people together for nightmare and Elm street for the extra life charity stream. So Dom, Dave, myself, my friend, Jack, the four of us will four player beat nightmare in Elm street. Maybe we'll have to see, but I think it'd be fun to play four player. I have the Nintendo AVS, so I've got it. As long as we have enough controllers, we'll be good to go. So, that would be fun. So that would be a spooky um, Friday the 13th. On the other hand is a game I've never beaten. I've only killed Jason once in the game. I've never beaten it. And I would love to finish that game, but it's so hard and so annoying. <laughs> I don't know if I'll ever do it, <laughs> but I want to, so maybe I will. Uh, but besides that one game, I always felt I missed out on that. I would have enjoyed was dead space, dead space. When I first played the first one, I, this is going to sound terrible, but I was living with a good friend of mine, Mike and he, I started playing it and I was, I was into it. I was like, this game's pretty fun. And then he started playing it and he blew past me and then wouldn't shut up and stop talking about it. So it basically killed my interest in the game. And so ever since then, I haven't played any of the dead spaces because that, and it's not an excuse now, like I should go back and play it. I'm surprised I didn't do like a dead space trilogy for PS4 or something like that, because it's weird, you know, or even just dead space one remastered, you know, it seems like something that EA would do. Say with the Mass Effect trilogy though. I'm surprised that didn't come to current consoles either. But uh, but I would like to revisit Dead Space 1. One of my favorite movies horror movies is um... Oh my goodness, what's the name of it? I'm totally spacing out. Oh, it's the horror movie in space on the ship. Oh, come on. How My brain just fried itself. What is going on? Oh, I'm so pissed off. Now I gotta look it up. Um, Event Horizon. I knew it started with an E and it was killing me. Event Horizon. It's got, um, Lawrence Fishburne in it. And basically they're sent up because there was a ship that was created for like ultra speed travel. It travels, but disappears and they lose track of it. And then a few years later it just pops up. So this ship is sent out there with the original create, like the original designer of the ship to go figure out what happened. And you go there and it's a horror movie and you find out that the ship like went essentially to an alternate dimension or went to hell or whatever you want to consider it. Really good movie though. Event horizon, check it out. And dead space took elements of that, like this kind of derelict freighter ship, you know, I mean, just awesome. And I also love that Isaac Clarke is like an everyman. He's an engineer and he survives because his engineering tools are essentially the best weapons to defeat the necro lights. I think that's what they're called. And basically you get like a plasma cutter that was used to like weld pipes and you cut off their limbs. Cause the idea is that the aliens, certain ones have to have their limbs cut off in a certain way for them to be killed. Like you don't just cut their head off and they die. Sometimes you have to cut their legs off to kill them, stuff like that. And so it just, it just worked out that this engineer was the perfect person for it. And so really cool stuff, a little bit, of, a little bit of event horizon, a little bit of doom, a little bit of like, John Carpenter horror in there like it was there was a whole lot of stuff going on in Invent Horizon and so Dead Space would probably be the one game I would really like to go back and revisit sometime in the in the spooky season that we're in. Um, so that's it, everyone. Thank you as always for listening and watching. I so so appreciate it. Remember, if you haven't, you can subscribe on iTunes or on SoundCloud. Now you can follow us there. You can listen to us anywhere you get you know your podcast from. Listen to us on there. But uh, you know, follow, like, subscribe, whatever you can, so you get notifications when I put up new episodes. Follow me on Twitter at Game Trade Greg. That's always the best way to get links to everything I'm working on, especially the charity stuff we got going on. Our YouTube channel is YouTube.com/slash Drop Rate. Please give us a subs- uh, subscribe on there. It'd Be great. We're uh, we're getting close to 6,000 subs, which is really proud. But we've definitely hit that wall. You know, we've got steady growth, but it's slower growth than I would like. I'd love to I'd love to to get more videos out there and do a little bit better. But that's on us. That's not on you. We just ask you to follow us and subscribe to us if you like us. And then lastly, I'll be streaming the extra life on the drop rate Twitch channel, which is Twitch.tv/the drop rate. So a lot of these links will be up and available on my Twitter. So that's always the best way to get a hold of me. Anything like that, so thank you again as always for listening and watching. I so 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 much appreciate you all. We hope you have a good day. We'll talk to you next time. Bye bye.